All right. Thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode. I'm here with Marcus Mason. Hi, Marcus. Good morning. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Okay, so I wanted to have you on because I've talked about Black mental health, especially for Black men before, but not with a therapist. And I'm excited to do that. Can you describe yourself a little? What do you do for work? What do you do for fun? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I am the founder of Minds Emotion Therapeutic Services. Um, I'm a Black male, and my goal when I created this um, private practice was to be able to pro provide a safe space for Black men. Um, black women and black families. Uh, that's kind of been like my passion and drive since I was um, a little bit younger. And now I'm just kind of putting it to, you know, I'm implementing what I wanted as a dream. Um, for fun, I enjoy working out. I enjoy moving, keeping your body moving. Um, it's also a vision and mission I have for my own business. And um, just working with kids and adolescents to kind of helping them think they're, um, to kind of change their thoughts and increase um, you know, their understanding about their processes and um, how to work and do better. That's awesome. I was a mentor in this program at my college. I went to JMU and they have this program called Valley Scholars and it was so fun. And we definitely needed more guys. Like our group in particular had a bunch of girls, which was great, but boys kind of need to be mentored by men. <laughs> like it helps a lot. So that that's awesome. Um, what made you decide to be a therapist? Uh, so what made me decide to be a therapist, I I actually enjoyed mentoring, right? And um, like in my early 20s, I was like, oh, I, I like mentoring. I like working with kids. But in reality, I want to get paid for it, right? <laughs> like I want to do it well. I do good at the job, so I don't want to do it for free. Um, and, you know, I considered social work. I looked up psychology. I looked up um, counseling psychology. And then I realized that, I enjoy changing the thought process that kids have or that adults have um, and kind of like helping them to see a different light from a third party perspective, rather than saying my way is the right way, but just have you considered this way, right? Um, and a lot of times I realized that if I had someone when I was younger, I may not have done some of the dumb things I did as a kid, um, the way I did them or how I did them. And so now I'm trying to give back to the community in that way, because I realized that's something that I lacked and did not receive as a child. So now I want to give that back to children. That's great. So did you, you didn't grow up in a household that supported therapy? Uh, well, no, I guess not. Technically I didn't. <laughs> Nobody went there. So I would say I definitely didn't. Um, it was, uh, you know, as, as many black families, I think it's a little taboo when you talk about mental health. Um, you know, you can't go see somebody just to see somebody and talk to them and get feedback. Either you're crazy or you're cuckoo or that's voodoo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like all these different um, thought processes that people have about um, or stigmas that people have about mental health. So um, my mom did a great job of helping me grow emotionally. But I think there were just some just some things that, you know, she's not a therapist and she didn't have that background. So she just, we never knew about it. Mm -hmm. So how did you overcome any negative perceptions or opinions that you heard about therapy when you were younger? Mm, when I was younger, I did not overcome it. I kind of shied away from it just like everybody else because that was kind of what was said. Um, I definitely grew up in the, 
you're 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 turning to a boy suck it up don't show your feelings don't have no emotions and um i did those things and um you know looking back on it i kind of understand how it impacted the way i started to grow up in my mid-20s like i kind of was the same way like you know if it was if i was out with my brothers we weren't saying i love you i meant it right i thought it but we weren't saying oh i love you bro or, and be safe you know what i mean you just never say that um and then if you do talk about your emotions you know society or people you're around typically will make fun of it if you're a black male so it was hard to um like find the niche that i wanted to find but i then was able to understand that this is society society has taught us that black men specifically um almost like we're not humans like we, we're not supposed to have any emotions and in reality that's why we see men my age now and and older where we don't know how to address our emotions, right? We don't know how to talk through what what being um, upset or frustrated or angry or mad look like or sound like. All we can usually do is kind of like vocalize that from a place of anger. And that's the only emotion that we usually can know how to do super, super well, which isn't a good thing. We have all these, uh, you know, spectrum of emotions and being able to only express yourself doing happy, sad, or mad, you know, that's, that's three out of a, a thousand, so. Um, I think that's super important. And I just realized that in my master's program, we were required to go to therapy. They required us to go to an experience of that and enjoy and like actually envelop ourselves as a client. And when I did it, I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. Like, I, okay, I kind of like, I, I can kind of rock with this. And then I began to like grow into it. So in reality, I don't think as a kid, I worked through it. I think it took me until about 24, 25 ish to understand um, how important therapy can be for the person that's open to it. Yeah. So do you still go to therapy as a therapist yourself? Yep. Yes. I, go to therapy. I, go to, uh, I, I see my therapist monthly. Um, they're dope. They're, they're super dope. Uh, they, you know, they tell me when I'm tripping, they tell me when I'm not tripping. Um, and I tell people all the time that, you know, doing this work of taking on other people's um, frustrations or problems or situations or experiences um, that does not that's not light right like that's some heavy um, mental lifting that you do and if you're not seeing someone for your own well-being how can you now ask somebody else to do the work behind the scenes as a therapist um, so I always tell people flat out like if your therapist doesn't see a therapist in my opinion they're not working on themselves so how can they work on you I'm not saying anybody's a bad therapist but there are things in this day and age that we have in place that can support all of us. And even though I'm a therapist, I'm not 100% right with everything, every single thing that I say or do or thought process, right? It's still, I'm still human. So I have to work on myself as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I was reading a couple articles about how uh, the number of people going to therapy during quarantine has gone way, way up, yeah. which means therapist caseloads have gone way, way up. So how have you been? um since the pandemic started um i will say one i'm thankful um you know because it does allow me to have a job so i, I will be thankful about that i do since the pandemic started mental health has almost been pushed to the forefront i think um like right behind like nurses and doctors and everybody needs or wants to see somebody else to talk to and for me i i knew going in what like my limit was for my caseload. I was like, I'm not going over this number no matter what. And I would like talk to my, like my colleagues. I would like, look, 
if you hear me saying I'm taking the client on, be like, no, bro, like, stop, we do it too much. Um, so like knowing your true like expectations and boundaries of your caseload, I think is super important. And then knowing what you can pour out, right? Because when I have, just because I have, let's say I have, if I only have five clients, right? I can have five clients, but those could be five clients that I see on a twice a week basis. And that's super heavy, right? That's a lot of check-ins over and over. That's a lot of kind of like talking through, um, through um, sessions and changing thought processes and being able to understand your client and truly invest in your client, that's not easy work, right? So um, the number to me personally does not matter. It's more so about how I'm helping to grow in another individual. So I know my cap. And then once I get to my cap, I just tell, like I have a wait, I have had an ongoing waiting list since last July. And that's just, I don't wow. know, it is what it is. And people will say, oh, well, everybody's booked and everybody's booked because the pandemic has shown how much we need this space and people weren't taking it. I won't say they weren't taking it as serious, but they weren't, I don't think they realized how important it was until now the, the pandemic has shown light on all of those kinds of things. Yeah. So why do you think people put off going to therapy? I'm putting it off right now, but don't put it off. I um, know. I think, I think I, of course, uh, you know, it's individualized and it depends on the person. Right. But, I know after speaking with, I'll speak for black men that I work with specifically, the biggest thing was always, nobody's gonna understand where I'm coming from, right? But in that mindset, that's kind of true because in reality, there aren't a whole lot of black male therapists. So if I'm talking, if I'm a black male and I'm going to therapy and I'm talking to a white woman in her mid forties, you can be culturally competent and you can give me you know, the skills that I need and the techniques, but in reality, you you can never fully be like, I get that. Like, I, I truly understand where you're coming from. And when you can't feel that or when you are afraid to see if someone can or cannot feel that, then I think you just say, oh, well, I'm just not going to go because there's no point in me going to that. Right. Um, so definitely a safe space for people that look like us is is limited. And um, I think I'm thankful now that I think people are starting to understand that and they're taking on those those roles, like I am myself. Um, but then also people are used to being stigmatized with, okay, if I go to therapy, that means I'm crazy, right? Like that is how it's kind of like portrayed, like, oh, you talk to somebody about what's going on in your mind? Oh yeah, you're crazy, you're cuckoos. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just talking through certain things that you may need more, excuse me, may support more support on, right? Um, why, why suffer in silence when you can have someone that's a third party individual and provide you better insight and they're not in the mix of it. Um, and one thing that I kind of equate that to now is, you know, I tell people all the time, well, if you, if you're, if you're toothaches, do you just not go to the dentist? Right? Like, do you just, oh, okay, I'm not going to go. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And now you can't even chew or you can't eat. No, you go to the dentist and you get it fixed and you get it checked out. Right. If you're if you break your foot, you're going to the foot doctor. If you you know, what I mean, if you don't if you just feel under the weather, you're going to a primary care um, provider. Right. So why, if you feel down in your mind, is it not acceptable to go to a therapist? So those are like the kind of like conversations that I'm typically trying to have with people. And then I would say lastly is people are scared to be scared to be diagnosed with something that, you know, maybe in their mind life altering or um, life changing and in reality uh, and i understand that right but 
when we are underdiagnosed or overdiagnosed, we then don't have the resources that we need to work on being the better person or to growing through that diagnosis, right? Um, I, I had one person come to me and they were like, well, look, you know, my insurance is through my job, my job, I don't want my job to know that I may, you know, like, let's say I diagnosed them with bipolar disorder, right? Um, oh, well, I don't want my job to know I'm bipolar, that I have bipolar, that I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And it's like, well, it stays between you and I, right? Of course, the insurance company understands that and they know that and they will see the diagnosis, but they're not allowed to just share it with your with your job because that's not HIPAA compliant. But all of those kinds of conversations aren't conversations that people are having because nobody is getting, like nobody really knows that unless you're in the field. So as soon as you say, oh, I have a therapist, now you're going and, oh, well, they, my therapist diagnosed me with ADHD. And now some people almost like flaunt it. Oh, I have ADHD. I have, I have ADHD. And it's like, well, yes, but let's work through it, right? Every diagnosis in the DSM is workable. It just depends on how much work you're going to put into it. And it may, you may need some other support, um, you know, with me medication or other type of interventions. But in reality, I think it's just super important to people understand that you can go to someone that looks like you, sounds like you, and they won't finesse you, right? Like they're not here to just give you something and say, all right, keep it moving. And if you feel like they are, go find somebody else. I didn't, my, my therapist that I have now is not my therapist that I started with. And that's because I just did feel comfortable. The first one I started with, I was like, eh, you know, it was cool, but it felt like it was more of just a, check, a box check rather than them being supportive for me. So I kept it moving. Are they your second therapist or did you go yeah, through a whole bunch of people? Okay. My cool. second therapist. Right. You made a lot of really good points. And I'm curious about the language surrounding mental health, because I was asking on my Instagram story, um, have you been to therapy and would you go? And it was 100% of people said they would go for a long time and one person messed it up. But <laughs> I asked, why do you think people don't go? And a lot of the answers were people are scared of seeming crazy or insane or getting diagnosed with something. and. I wonder, I've heard people say before that using crazy or insane is a slur. Do you agree with that? I think it's a cultural term. I don't, I wouldn't, um, I would not, well, that's a lie. I have used it in sessions when I'm talking. I'm, I'm very transparent. Like, oh no, you tripping, bro. Or like, <laughs> are you wild? Like, you know, no, you was, Marcus, was that crazy? It was a little bit, it was a little bit, right? I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it's appropriate to label, I think crazy is a very broad term that is used so broadly that anybody that hears that term now associates that something is like super, super wrong or you can't handle your own emotions, right? Um, and in reality, we all, everybody has been through an experience where they have done something a little a little off, right? Or their emotions got the best of them and now they felt a certain type of way and they reacted that type of way. But again, the difference is understanding and knowing like I'm, I would almost even picture like triggers as more of like, maybe that's kind of like where people will say, oh, were well, you acting crazy? No, well, they're just triggered, right? They're triggered by X, Y, and Z. But if you don't go to therapy, you don't even know why you're triggered by X, Y, and Z because you've never gotten those kind of conversations out. Yeah. Okay. Good point. I, I was curious about that. I was watching like a exchange on Facebook and somebody said something was crazy and the other person basically to win the argument was like well that's an ableist slur and you shouldn't say crazy and i'm like i mean what I word can we say then of course people have their own you know um ideas 
And I'll say that the therapy that I provide is very, I'm in your face. Like how I'm talking to you is how I talk to my clients. And they'd be like, Mark, dang, bro, like chill out. And I'm like, I'm just keeping a stack with you, bro. And um, and they'll they'll like be they're they're super appreciative of it, but also knowing that from a cultural and societal standpoint, being able to talk to a black man to get him to understand from my perspective as a black man is typically easier. And the terminology, the word crazy may come in that because that is something that they understand, right? Like if you I give you an example, um your girlfriend's not picking up the phone and you drive to her house at 3 a.m. in the morning, you banging on the door. No, bro, you're crazy. You tripping. Like, let's bring it back down. Let's explain that. Let's talk through that, right? Why did you feel you need to do that? Um, so, and it, and people kind of appreciate that a little more rather than like sometimes a jargon that therapists typically or psychiatrists or psychologists typically use. Um, if you're not in that field, it feels almost like you're talking down to me. So I am very, like, I can, I can talk from this kind of space of terminology, but I enjoy talking like how you and I are talking because that's how you're going to really internalize and implement what I'm asking you to try and change and work on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that would probably make it a lot less scary for yeah, people sure, who are a sure. little intimidated by therapy. So what are popular objections to therapy that you hear from other Black men, especially around your age? Um, and what would your responses be to those objections? Popular objections to therapy would be, I don't need anybody else's uh, point of view, which is, a, I think, a, a fixed mindset. In order to grow, you have to grow your mindset. Um, I don't have time. I don't have time is always the, the biggest one. And I tell people all the time, now you got time. You just don't want to do it. It's at this point, you can't even really go anywhere. So you have you have 45 minutes to the side you can find. Um, what else? What else? I'm scared of being labeled or judged. Um, and then I think one that is kind of flies under the radar is I don't want my significant other to feel like something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And that that one um, comes out a lot. Not at the initial um, sessions that I have, but more so towards the middle. It's like, well, you know, if I'm seeing, the, if I, if I, if I go on a date and I tell them I'm seeing a therapist, they're like, oh, what's wrong? That's the first question. What's wrong? Right. And people receive that in a way where, again, in order for me to go see a therapist, something has to be wrong. And in reality, no, everything can be right. I actually tell people, and I know many therapists tell people you should be seeing a therapist before things go wrong. So that way, when things like when things are good, you can work on the good stuff. And then when things aren't so good, your baseline is already higher. So it's not as um, detrimental to like your well-being. So I would say those are the couple ones. Right. I don't know. Have you seen Married at First Sight? I've seen like one or two episodes. It's not like my my thing to watch, but I know everybody does. <laughs> okay. So season 11, the one in New Orleans, mm-hmm. like right when they got married on the honeymoon, the husband told his wife, like, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, but I go to therapy. I'm on medication for it. Like, everything is good. I'm fine. Like, I have days where it's not so good, but I'm having it taken care of. And her first response was, oh, no, like, I like men who are super masculine and I'm not into this. Like, I didn't want a man like this. And I was so upset when I saw that because I'm like, no, no. This is the problem in the first place because we're making men think that dealing with your feelings Mm 
is feminine. And so then you have these old ass men who can't even articulate their feelings because they think that talking about their feelings makes them like a girl. And I was so upset when I saw that. Um, And I wonder, do you think that women contribute to the idea that men shouldn't talk about their feelings? For sure, for sure, Uh, (laughs) for sure. I always get a little bit of pushback and that's fine. Um, But the the patterns and themes don't lie from the people that I speak to about it. Um, I think that, again, society has done a great job at telling black men that it's not okay to express yourself. And then when you do see a black male express themselves and more recently now it's getting better. But prior to honestly 2020, I would say if you saw a black man express himself and there were people that were like, oh, you know, thank you. We appreciate you opening up. There were a thousand people saying you're soft. You need to get over it. Oh, this isn't the type of man I like. I need my man to be strong. I need my man to be masculine. Right. Or um, you're so weak. Right. Uh, and what we don't realize is that as soon as like that could have been that one time that he was really trying to open up and now he's never going to open up again, no matter what you say or do, it's never going to happen. Right. Um, and people I've, I've worked with clients on both, on both sides of the, of the wall. I've worked, I work with women. Um, now I have a couple of women that I work with and we've had to kind of like change that those thoughts and to kind of like really break down those barriers and, you know, understanding like, well, Marcus, why won't he just open up to me? And I'm like, well, how is he going to open up to you when he, when you laughed at him the last time he opened up that don't make, like, I wouldn't open up to you either, honestly. Um, and having them to really truly understand that although you may not think that it's less masculine from your point of view, your actions are showing, or if you're laughing, right? Or if you're making a video of him crying, right? Like I've seen all these things on like Instagram where, you know, a guy will be crying and the, and the female is making fun of him or his girlfriend is like, stop being soft, get over it. And then when he goes into the next relationship, they're wondering why he don't open up or why he don't talk about how he feels or why he don't just tell me what's going on, right? And it, it's just so... And it's not just women's fault. I want to be very clear. It's not just women's fault. But women play a super, super huge role in how men express themselves, whether they're comfortable or not comfortable, whether they feel like they have a safe space or not a safe space. Um, It's almost like women are pretty good, honestly, at advocating about their emotional needs. But if a male advocates for his emotional needs, now it's kind of like where we get into that murky water of, is are you going to be on board? Are you going to support his need? Are you going to support what he asked for, what he requests? Are you going to make fun? Are you going to tell your friends? Are you going to laugh about it because his boy was crying downstairs, right? Um, so I think it definitely takes two because a male needs to advocate for himself in a way that he can, and he needs to understand what emotions he's feeling. But it also takes a safe space for him to be able to advocate for those feelings, and that is where I think we find a lot of um, a lot of the contention in relationships. So yes, to answer your question in short, I do think that um, women play a super major role in how men express themselves. And I hope that we continue to change and build for each other and with each other rather than tear each other down. Yeah, me too. I was so mad when I saw that. I already didn't like her. But (laughs) when I saw that on the show, I was so mad. Um, all right. So you promote a lot using exercise and motion as a way to improve your mental health. Do you think that that method of improving mental health is promoted enough? No, 
I think that um, I think that people know fitness is good or being active is good, physically active is good, but I, I don't think people truly understand how physical activity is almost like a drug. It's like a medicine for your body, not just your mind, right? For your full entire holistic body. And um, when you do certain things, and it's been like studies have shown this over like the more recent years that, you know, when you do certain things, you release dopamine, right? Like if you go to the gym and you say, I'm going to run for 30 minutes, if you run for 30 minutes, now you've, you've, you gave yourself a task, you've created that task. And now you're that, that dopamine feeling of, okay, I can do this, right? I am going to have a good day. Um, you you created your task, you killed your task and then on top of that you got some endorphins from it too so like all of those neurological um chemicals that release the endorphins then dopamine the serotonin right the depending on the activity that you do you release these into your body if you're just kind of like laying on the couch all day and then not trying to figure out well why why am i groggy why do i have a headache and it's like yo get up move like our bodies are actually meant to move that's why we have two legs and two arms if we were meant to just kind of be sedentary, we wouldn't be so mobile whenever we want to be. Mm -hmm. So I think that there are times where even with like clients that are depressed or or anxious um, or a rack, a, a whole, you know, a lot of other disorders that are given. If there was mandatory like physical activity on top of their treat or with their treatment plan, I feel like we would go leaps and bounds, but we don't do that. We typically are saying, oh, well, you need to go take this medicine and and just be consistent with the medicine. No, you may need medicine, but I promise you, if you take a walk for 30 minutes every day, you, your mind will just begin to kind of grow and feel better. And, and it, our brains actually wash. Like people don't realize this. When we go to sleep, our brains release a chemical and it's almost like it takes a shower and releases and then it sucks it back up before it's time to wake up, right? How, do, how am I going to do that if I'm not sleeping until if I'm not going to sleep until 2 a.m. and I'm waking up at four? Right. How am I going to do that if I can't stop thinking about something that messed up that I didn't like that happened and now I stayed up all night? So understanding how important it is for physical activity to really um, and it helps decrease stress. People don't even realize it's like you can literally be stressed out. But if you're consistent with your work ethic around physical activity, you can decrease your own stress levels significantly. Like studies have shown this. Um, I'm currently about to do a study on it. Like it's these are studies are proven. So people, I, I wish and I hope that people start to understand their physical activity plays a significant role in their mental health. Mm -hmm. So I see people tagging you all the time in workout videos with the 90 day commitment thing. What what is that and what is the purpose of it? So 90 day commitment is actually um, part of another organization that I'm on. It's called Game 7. Um, and that commitment um, was created by the founder, Malcolm Evans and Kendall Gaskins. And the 90 day commitment is basically saying that you're going to spend at least 20 minutes doing something with physical activity, right? And then you're going to spend at least 20 minutes being productive for something individual. So for me, it would be school or it would be my, like a business plan. Right. Um, and then you're going to post it and you're going to retag, you're going to tag and then you're going to repost what whoever is retagging. What it does is it creates a community. When you create a community of um, consciousness and understanding, you now have you're almost like passing information out to everybody. Um, there are people that I never knew 
that started doing the 90 day commitment because they saw a friend that tagged me that tagged somebody else. Um, and again, it is just to kind of show you that if you can commit to 90 days of of work ethic, 90 days of being consistent and 90 days of not like stopping and not giving up, you will then see a significant difference from day one to day 90. It may And it may not be a physical difference, right? It may be a mindset change, right? It may be, okay, cool. I can't, I can go to the gym for 90 days. I used to say I couldn't, now I can, right? I made my way to the gym for 90, 90 days or I stayed inside and did a, work, a home workout. So it's not, it isn't that I can't do it anymore. Maybe it's just that I had to find the will and now I found my will, right? Um, and then also, again, to be able to take 90 days to work on significantly for something that's super important for you, then you will see, okay, cool. I was BSing this business plan for nine, for three years. I spent 90 days, that's it, 90 days compared to three years. And I, I killed the business plan and actually created more stuff for my business. So it's just to kind of show people the importance that consistency and physical activity can all kind of like go in the same realm um, and it can help increase your holistic health. Yeah, I think that's an awesome challenge and awesome commitment. I want to do it. Yeah, I was just going to say, you going to get on next? Yeah, I guess I should, right? You can start whenever you can start tomorrow. Start the- <laughs> Um, all right. So can exercise be a replacement for medication? Yes, I personally say that exercise can be a replacement for um, for medication. I think it depends on the severity of what is going on and what is being shown. Um, but I do think that there are times where rather than I wish doctors would get to a space where um, instead of giving Instead of giving a diet um, 15 milligrams of, I'll say Concerta, why don't you, you know, mandate you go to physical therapy or you go see a, a trainer that's still paid for, just like your medication, um, for five times a week and for 30 minutes, right? And then see the benefits of these things. Um, they did a study. A study was done, I think, early last year, where they said they actually, I think it was Switzerland that they took out and they decided to. Um, do a study on on providing prescriptions for physical activity rather than medication. And they saw the numbers were like super, like the numbers were soaring and people were saying they felt better. Overall, they felt better with whatever they were diagnosed with. Of course, you still have to be consistent and go to your, you know, your sessions and and be able to go to see your, um, you know, your doctor. But they did say that overall clients had said that they felt significantly better rather than being on medication. So I'm a proponent to say that anything you can give a, a medication for, I can give you a physical activity for. Mm. That's good. I was I also asked if people would be open to taking medication if it were recommended to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the exact percentage. A little over 50 percent said yes. But like a good chunk of people said no. And most of their reasoning was, I think there are other things that we just don't explore. They didn't say what the other things were and not wanting to have to deal with finding the right dosage. And also, what was the last thing? Oh, wanting to find like natural remedies. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask a lot of people are self-medicating nowadays and kind of using weed as the cure for everything do you think that smoking is an adequate replacement for medication if you need it um 
no, I do not. I think that um, if you have to smoke because, well, if you if you are smoking because you are trying to um, do whatever you want to do or change your thoughts or not have to think about something else, no matter how you look at it, that's still self-medicating, right? Um, it is still, now we always hear, oh, it's natural, so it's okay. But at the same time, if you're, if I'm smoking because, like, I had a client, I can be, I can tell you this, I had a client that said, well, I, just, I gotta smoke, I gotta smoke. If I don't smoke, I'm not calm through the day, right? Or I'm super on edge at work. Okay, so that's not a smoking issue. That's a, we need to talk about a life issue, right? We need to talk about why are you not calm at work, right? Like, why are you so on edge at work? Like, what's going on? What's going on in your life? Rather than just smoking and masking those thoughts and then going into work hot. Um, and some some people are really good at being able to like work through those kind of conversations and some people are just well but i'm a smoke though and i hey you're you're grown you know you're gonna do what you want to do but at the same time i do think that if you're smoking weed it's just like drinking alcohol right it's you're still self-medicating no matter what it's just like if you had to if you were taking percocets every morning it's the same exact thing it's just not as severe so you're still self-medicating so you're sound to me, it sounds like you're running from something. And if you're running from something, what are you running from? Right. Let's talk. I want to talk about that. I don't want I don't care about the weed part, but let's talk about what you're running from, because if we can identify what you're running from, then in my in my head, now we can kind of pull back on the weed once we figure out what it is, because we'll put in positive coping skills rather than negative coping skills like smoking weed. Right. Exactly. And why wouldn't you want to be able to handle the issue without right. having to smoke? But it's right. hard to get that when you're a smoker. I used to smoke when I was in college and I quit. And then when you see it in other people or just thinking back on how I was back then, like, well, I need to smoke to go to work. I used to work at a restaurant, like to deal with these annoying ass customers or like, I do my homework better when I smoke. Like I'm funnier when I smoke. Yeah. 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 Um, so I think that it just like it really it depends on how we were taught, I think, as children, because what we don't realize is that as kids, our our childhood, I mean, I'm sorry, our adulthood is a direct correlation of our childhood and what we learned from that. Right. And the way that we learn to cope and get through certain things is how we learned it or what we saw then. So not saying that your mom or your dad was smoking weed, but somebody obviously put you on to smoking. Right. And when someone mm -hmm. put you on. You're like, all right, this feels good. So if it feels good, why not do it when I'm going through something? It makes perfect sense from an illogical standpoint, right? But logically, if you're running from whatever is, is upsetting you or whatever is making you have these points of contention, now what I want to do is address the points of contention and then put in something different rather than the smoking. So I'm taking out the intervention that you have, which is self-medicating, and I'm putting in the intervention, right? So I'll use Danielle. Can I use you as an example? Yeah. All right, perfect. So Danielle, you smoked or you were smoking weed, right? So when you are ready to get to that space, what I would ask you to do is, I wouldn't even say go cold turkey, right? I would say, well, how about Danielle, you do this for me. If you smoke three times a week, I want you to work out two times a week, right? So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you smoke. Tuesday, Thursday, I want you to work out whenever you feel those feelings, right? And then I'll give you like two weeks and then we'll start talking. Okay, how's it working out feeling? You know, cool. And what's going to typically happen is Mark's actually kind of like it. You know, I feel like I can't breathe for real because I've been smoking, but I kind of think it's cool, right? 
I might do it. Maybe I'll do it three days a week. So now you're doing it three days a week and you're smoking three days a week, right? And now what I'm doing is changing that thought process on what to implement when you're feeling something. So I'm going to get you to a point where almost you're doing it. Maybe you're doing four days a week, but now you're only smoking twice a week. That's success, right? Mm-hmm. And us understanding, again, what is the trigger that you need when you are feeling that feeling? So if it's these annoying, these annoying ass customers, I, I was a bartender and I was a server, so I get it, right? Mm-hmm. These annoying ass customers, I already know what I'm about to have to deal with, right? So maybe instead of hitting a J, right? Maybe you meditate for 20 minutes, right? Maybe instead of hitting a J, you do yoga for 30 minutes, right? That's a long time, actually. Maybe like 10, right? <laughs> maybe instead of hitting the J, you you um you go for a walk, clear your mind and get yourself together, right? So those are like the ways that I've tried to begin to implement that movement piece, but also implement other strategies that you may have that you may not. Because in reality, movement isn't for everybody, right? I say that I want everybody to do it, but that doesn't mean that everybody wants to do it, right? So for you, it could be, oh, well, Marcus, I just, I need, I need a break and I just want to relax. Okay, cool. Put on some music. Let's put on some music and dance. Dance for five minutes. Put on your favorite three songs, dance in the car and before you go inside rather than hitting the J before you go inside. See how it feels, right? Um, and it's, and people are still going to blow. You're still going to throw you off. They're still going to get on your nerves. But what we're hoping to do is have you be able to work in a way that isn't self-medicating. It isn't self-destructive because in reality, if you're working high, like you could be fired, right? They probably wouldn't fire you, but you could be fired if, if that's what they wanted to do. So why set yourself up for failure? Right. That's such a good point. And since I quit, I think the first thing I really started doing was journaling every day. Yeah, and okay. It it just helps a lot. And it feels way more powerful to be able to handle whatever's going on without having to rely on weed. But I like the example that you gave. I went cold turkey, but I mean, for some people, that's very intimidating. So... Right. weaning yourself off of it is a good idea. You don't need to smoke every day. Somebody right. listening to this, you don't need to smoke you every don't, day. Don't. And if you think you need to smoke every day, that's, that makes you, that's really why you should come see me or go see somebody. <laughs> okay. So if somebody is looking around for a therapist, what qualities do you think are most important? Um, I'm going to say towards the Black community, I think it's mm-hmm. important for them to um, go to someone that knows and someone that looks like them right and someone that can understand the plight of whatever they're going through at that time um i tell people all the time i actually turn clients away like i've had clients reach out and say hey i want to um come on as a client i'm a drug addict and i just i i don't know like i can do my job but i don't know how to work with you specifically as a drug user right because i wasn't a heavy heavy drug user so I don't, there's the, like, I kind of get that disclaimer. Like, so I don't think that I would be the best fit. I can do it, but I'm not sure if I would be the best fit for you. Um, and cultural competency is so real, Danielle. Like people don't understand it. Like the fact that you think sometimes, um, like I was sitting in, in my first session and I think I said, I said something and the lady was like, well, what does that mean? And I looked at her and I was like, what, what do you mean? What does that mean? She was like, well, I don't like, what does that term mean? And I was like, you know what? It's cool. Like I finished the session out, but I was like, this is why I won't come back because I don't, I don't want to have to take time out of my session to explain to you a phrase from the black community, right? Like that, I don't feel like I should have to do that. 
Um, if I'm saying, oh, that shit got me tight. There's no, like, now I got to explain to you how, what tight and how it got me. No, I just want you to get it so we can move past that. So I think um, talking to somebody that is uh, culturally competent, understanding is super important. Um, for some, I tell people that if you're a black male, definitely go to someone that is a, if try and find a black male or a black female. I think that um, black males have a tough time opening up in general, like we talked about earlier. So talking to someone that looks like them may feel a little more comfortable. And then um, also understanding and knowing that every therapist isn't for every person and every person isn't for every therapist there. I just, you know, there are people that it is a black male and we're just not, we can't create them and I can't create that, that strong therapeutic, you know, relationship or bond. And I call that out flat out. Like I'll say like, Hey, I'm not sure if you have, you know, some types of feelings or are you a little on edge, but you know, we haven't made any progress and I'm not sure if it's because of the relationship that you and I have therapeutically or if it's just because you don't want to do the work, but you're coming. Like, what do you need? And um, when you find when people are more authentic and genuine, genuine like that, you'll hear either the person say, OK, I, I really want to try. I, I don't want to waste my time or my money. Or you'll hear the people say, you know, maybe I'm just not as ready as I thought I was, but I'm going to come back when I am ready. So go to someone that you actually feel you've grown a therapeutic relationship and rapport with um, and someone that you feel like, like you can actually talk to them. If you don't feel like you could be out open and honest with the therapist, you're paying money to go lie. Like think about how that sounds. Like that's, that's, now that's crazy. You want to talk about crazy. That's crazy. I'm going to pay you money to come and lie to you about my life when I'm supposed to be asking for help because of how I feel like you may judge me or I may feel judged or how I just don't feel comfortable opening up fully that's that's not therapy that's just being finessed so don't do that yeah that's a great point and i read charlemagne the god's book last year mm. the one about like anxiety and i think he said his therapist is like an asian woman or a white woman or something like that and he was trying to make the point that you should go to somebody who's not black mm. so that they i guess so that they don't give you excuses mm. and you can also kind of give them like real life examples of what it's like to be a black person, but that just kind of sounds like paying to teach them. Yeah, to me. That's exactly. I'm not um, all of the Charlemagne the God, but I'm not. I'm not going to a session to pay for a session to provide a therapist about diversity and equity in society. <laughs> that's that's not that's not why I'm here. Um, he has a lot of money though, so maybe yeah, he, he has. He does have a lot of money, but. Again, that goes back to that that thought process. Like, think about think about how he what he just said. Like, I'm going to a therapist for me, but I'm gonna educate them on the plight of the black struggle. How are you going? How how are you working on you? Like, it, and to be real, your therapist should kind of tell you, like, no, that's not what we're here for. We're here for you. We shouldn't really be here for that. Um, and I don't think I think that people confuse excuses with reality. Um, I'll use this week as an example. Like this week, I knew this week I was going to have some tough sessions just because of everything that's going on in society. Mm -hmm. You know how hard it would be for me, me personally, again, I'm not Charlemagne, but for me personally to talk to an Asian lady about what's going on in the world, I don't, I would just be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, you hear me. That's what I would say. Okay, you, you, you create a safe space and let me say what I need to say, but you don't feel me, right? You don't feel me. So um, like talking to my clients this week and 
they were like, Marcus, I really truly appreciate you, you know, allowing me to have this space to kind of say and like talk about what was going on because I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that space, right? I don't know if Asian lady is going to be uh, as empathetic as we say. Of course, we say therapists are culturally competent and can and can put themselves in your shoes. But why would you expect that to happen if you could just go see a black male instead of someone hoping that they can see that or feel that? Right. Um, there are things that, again, even a black woman, a black woman won't understand, right? From a black male's perspective, and even if you can switch it around, a black male won't understand from a from a woman's perspective, right? There are just things that are different. I'm not saying that it's not possible, but I do think I'm not gonna go. I do recommend not going into therapy thinking, oh, because they're a therapist, they can understand and they're gonna help me and they're gonna they're gonna fully kind of invest in me. That's not how it works. I don't care. People people say that they'll sell that dream to you. But in reality, that's not it. Like me personally, I'm not, outside of my mentoring sessions, I don't take on, like nobody else comes to me. People, Everybody comes to me as black or a person of color, right? And they do that because of what I put off, right? Now, I don't have no white people coming to me saying I want you to be my therapist. And that's not saying it's a bad thing because I could if I wanted to, but I was very specific about what I want to work with. And I say that and I'm honest about that and I'm open about that, right? Even if you go to my, my profile, it says black men's issues, right? On for, for psychology today, it doesn't say white men's issues because I don't know white men's issues. <laughs> I can work with you on that. I can work with you on what you bring to the table, but I'm not really truly going to be as open from that perspective because I just don't know it, right? So um, I, I get what Charlemagne, I guess, is trying to do, I think for the masses, but I also think that if we talk about making excuses, I think that's an excuse to not work on yourself because you wanna work on and, and coach and educate other people about the black race when you're paying somebody to be helping you with you. Yeah, yeah, that book wasn't as good as his first one. But <laughs> that's another thing. I've been seeing a lot of conversations online about how therapy should be free. And personally, I feel like it's unfair to ask therapists and social workers to provide all their services for free. But what do you think? And I don't know if this is already a thing about the idea of therapists giving a portion of their services for free, kind of like how lawyers do pro bono um, work. So there is, um, I can't speak for everybody, right? But I can speak for the program. I, I received my degree um, from Bowie State University. <clears throat> and in one of my ethics classes, I remember our professor saying, you know, it is okay to offer pro bono, depending on like, if you don't got it, it's fine. We're just gonna eat it and we're gonna keep it moving. Um, if you do get it, let me know. Hopefully, don't finesse me, but you know, we'll, and you give me whatever you can. Um, but I always have two clients on my caseload that I do completely um, free of charge, and I do that, and I make sure that it's specifically black men because, again, that's my that's my heartstring, right? That's my tug, right? Um, and on top of that, there is a thing called a sliding scale, right? And a sliding scale fee is basically where. So my, I offer services out of pocket. I am not accepting insurance currently, right? So if my charge is $100 for 45 minutes and you say, Marcus, I don't have that. Do you have a sliding scale? I then will say, yes, I have a sliding scale or no, I don't. But if I do, what a sliding scale does is say basically, well, this is my price. 
where can you meet me in the continuum of zero to a hundred dollars? And then wherever I feel comfortable and you feel comfortable and we can agree on if it's $75 a session rather than a hundred dollars, then we agree on that. And now that is what you're going to pay moving forward. Um, and again, not every therapist is required to have a sighted skill and not every therapist is required to offer pro bono services, but there are a lot of therapists that do offer these services that you just have to ask. They're not going to go out and say, hey, I'm doing free sessions, come to me. But if you ask, um, typically there, there, there is some kind of wiggle room. Yeah, I think that that's a great point and a great idea. I'm, I'm not going to ask you, should therapy be free? Because I think that's you ridiculous. Do, do you think it should be free? I think that therapy... I don't know if I would say, I, I think it should be free to clients, but I think that it should be paid by somebody, right? Yeah. So I think even if it's the employer paying it or the government paying it, right? Just kind of exactly how when you go insurance, you know, like, well, I mean, therapy is kind of kind of free, technically, if you think about it, because if you have insurance and you're paying the copay with $15 and then the insurance pays the rest, but I do think I think that it should be less of a cost. I think that therapy is now becoming a socioeconomic um, benefit. So if you have enough money to pay for therapy, to go to therapy, you can go, right? But if you don't have enough money to live, you can't receive therapy. And I think that is messed up, right? I think mm -hmm. that should not be off or that should not be how it is. Um, but I don't know if I would necessarily say it needs to be free because there are spaces like, you know, therapists do a lot to get those like those licenses and to do the work. Right. It's just like if you were like, would you ask a doctor, not you personally, but like would somebody else say, well, I think this doctor should pull my tooth out for free. No, you wouldn't say that. Right. Or do you, I want this plastic surgery done. Right. And I think it's it's typically seven thousand dollars, but I think I should only pay you ten. They're going to look at me like, oh, OK, yeah, you thought that was going to happen. So I think it's the same realm um, of understanding that there are there are going to be services that are needed and the supply and demand is going to be there. So somebody has to pay somebody, but I don't necessarily agree that it has to be the clients paying for it. Um, and that's where I think maybe I will meet in the middle ground to saying free. Yeah, that was the response that I saw from a lot of therapists in that conversation that the insurance companies aren't paying enough, which is why a lot of therapists aren't taking insurance. And so it's up to the insurance companies, but they're not going to listen to us. Right, so right, I don't, right. I don't know how to solve that. It, so I, I know, um, again, that's the, one of the reasons why I don't take insurance, right? Um, but I've seen, I've seen um, colleagues do amazing work or hear about them doing amazing work and then the insurance companies saying, oh, well, we're not going to pay. Like if I charge a hundred dollars, I'm sending that bill. And it's, let's say, Daniel, your copay is 15. I'm sending the bill to the 75 to the insurance company. The insurance company's like, Hey, no, we're not going to do that. We'll pay you 50. And it's like, what? Like, how do how are you just going to dictate what you're going to give me? And this is my, these are my services that the person came to. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not really fair to therapists. That's not fair. It's basically saying that insurance companies can just do whatever they want to do and we just have to eat it because those are people that are sending the money for it so i do think that um i think that the healthcare system as a whole danielle kind of needs a revamp um 
And I think that revamp is not going to happen no time soon, to be fair and to be honest about it. But I do think that there are little pieces of things that should be taken care of. Like I know, I think in Canada, I think all healthcare services are free because it's government paid, right? So if the government, if the government is paying me money, then I'm cool, right? Like I see as many people as you want because I know that I send you my bill. I mean, I send you my invoice, you all pay me back and I can continue seeing these clients. But in America, we have this thing where it's like everybody's trying to one up everybody. So it's like, we're not going to pay you because you got to do it yourself or we'll only pay you this amount of money. Even when people get like the, when people have babies or they have heart transplants, like, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, cool. We'll pay $75,000 of it. So now you're telling me I got to find $15,000 just out of my butt. Right. And, and make it work. So yeah, I think our healthcare system just needs a, a whole revamp in that kind of regard. Yeah, I agree. I do think it sounds nice. Like therapy should be free. But I think it's a little unrealistic for it to be completely free. Um, just like any other service, it's impossible for it to be free for everyone, at least in America. Um, okay, so last two questions. Can you give us a book recommendation? A book recommendation. Actually, I can give you the book that I am reading per my therapist. Uh, I'm very transparent. So I am um working on being less of a people pleaser so the book that i'm reading is called not nice it's super dope it's not heavy it's not um huge words it's kind of very down to earth but what it does is help you kind of like change your thinking in regards to what you deserve and what you think nice is but then changing that to being and setting accountability and expectations for yourself but also setting those things for others sounds so good nice. Very short and simple, not nice. That's what it's called. Okay. And last question, what is your dream for your life's work? Ooh. My dream for my life's work is to, I really want movement and physical activity to become prescriptions rather than medication, or at least to be thought of in that regard, like, okay, cool. Am I gonna give them Ritalin or am I gonna say they need to go to work out? I really want movement and physical activity to be um, a super, super huge component. And I hope that eventually I become, not I hope, I will become a, um, a pioneer in that specific intersectionality of fitness and the mental health field. Absolutely, I think that's a great goal. I think you're already doing that and um... I think that'll be a big takeaway from people who listen to this. So how can people find you online? So people can find me online. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at, at Minds in Motion Therapy. Um, you can find my website at www.mindsinmotiontherapy.org. I'm also on Psychology Today at Marcus Mason LCPC. And you can, if you do have LinkedIn, you can find my LinkedIn at Marcus Mason LCPC. Um, all of those, all my social media handles are um, looked at by somebody on my team and I respond to everything. It may be a little slow, but I promise I do respond. Um, and I look forward to anybody that thinks they want some support from my services. Awesome. Well, everyone go follow Marcus. You can get on his waiting list to get therapy um, and go check out the book he recommended. Thank you, Marcus, so much for finding some time to do this. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.